All right. Speaking of stuff that I sometimes don't know what it means, let's go to the scriptures. <laughs> the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19 is where we are at tonight. Uh, and it says, it says this, and I, I forgot the page number again. It's like 2224 or 5 or something like that, like in the Pew Bibles, if you want. I think that's where we were uh, in the last couple of weeks. It says this, Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. It says, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with skin disease approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? So where are the other nine? Did none of them return to give glory to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The word of God in scripture for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. I had, I had a realization as I was reading over my sermon notes uh, you know, about an hour ago or so, looking over them one more time. Uh, that this, th- this sermon may end up telling more about me psychologically than I intended it to. Uh, so for any counselors in the room, uh, please keep your opinions to yourself or just talk to me in private because I'm not sure it's going to say good things about me. So I'll put that out there to start with. But I want to start with a weird question. Have you ever developed a plan for what happens when you win the lottery? Can anyone who will kind of raise their hand and be honest, you've, you've thought it through. Okay, a few fellow brothers and sisters in the room. Okay, a couple of you. And I mean like genuinely thought about it, like it, was a, like it was an option, like it might actually happen to you. Like if you won that lottery, you suddenly became fabulously wealthy, what would you do? Right? Now I've only played the lottery a couple times in my life, and I only buy when the odds are lowest because everyone is buying because it's some absurd amount of money, right? Because, you know, math doesn't make sense in my uh, dreams. But I've spent actual mental energy. I've sat down and thought through and mapped out. I've spent time which cannot be replaced figuring out what I would do when I win the lottery. For me, I'm not suggesting this is everyone's plan, and I probably shouldn't tell anyone this given the nature of my highest priority, but my highest priority is anonymity. So this is what I thought through. How do I win the lottery and not let anyone know about it? Because I want to be fabulously wealthy, I just don't want anyone to know I'm fabulously wealthy, right? That's where the fun is. Turns out certain states force you to be public about who you are when you win. Yeah. So I thought maybe I'll just go find the most expensive lawyer I can and say, look, I'm going to give you a million bucks if no one finds out my name. And, you know, five years from now, there's another million waiting for you if it's still true. But I don't think that's going to work. So I just, instead... Through my job, I've gotten to meet some people that have a lot more money than I do and have access to lots and lots of money. And I said, I'm going to go find one of these very rich folks that I know, and I'm going to sell them that ticket for 75 cents on the dollar. That's more, I mean, I, I could, if I scrimp and save, I can make it by on 300 million instead of like 400, right? So I'll sell them the ticket. They can give me money that no one knows about, and then they can publicly accept the ticket. And yes, Everyone will kind of hate them for being rich and winning the lottery, but, you know, people already know they have money. They're already dealing with that problem anyways. And I get to be 
the secret billionaire, right? Now, there might not be a bigger waste of time on the planet than sitting around and trying to map out this, uh, but I have thought about it. And I thought, why? Why did I spend that time? Why have I really entertained this thought? And that's because, if I'm honest, again, this may be too much of a confession, but if I'm honest, deep down, somewhere deep down inside of me, there's at least one kernel that thinks I'm supposed to win. That somehow I'm the hero of that story. Like, at some point, it's got to... There's, there's a little part of me, the couple of times I've played, that when my numbers didn't came up, were kinda, it was kind of like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> I understand that's idiotic. I understand that makes no sense. But that's a part of me, right? And I don't, I'm not, I don't think I'm alone in this weird narcissism that's devoid of math and odds because lots of people buy these tickets, right? I think it's fairly common, I hope. At least it would make me feel better. Conversely, on the other side of things, when something unwanted, or in my opinion, unwarranted happens to me, and it doesn't have to be something big and deep and heavy and even really painful like some things are, but any type of little thing even happens to me, it feels like a profound injustice, right? Because again, it doesn't have to be a big thing, but it feels like someone's rewriting the story I'm supposed to be living. Well, there's a stoplight near my house that I pass by several times a day, and something happened recently, so the timings got reset on this stoplight. And it got put back to, like, factory default. And it makes no sense in the world in which we live in. It leaves green arrows on for days for people who are never turning at that spot. And it goes through the entire circle. And so where I am always waiting, uh, it just takes forever. I end up getting stopped every day, several times a day, at this unnecessarily long uh, light. And if I'm, again, very honest with you, every time I catch that light, which is 99.8% of the times, it deep down makes me just a little bit uh, livid. Like, I want to just grab the steering wheel and rip it off. Like, I just, I, it makes me so mad. I have really deep, when, when that arrow's just there and no one's turning and there's no one even there to turn, I just have these deep, profound questions of why me, Lord? Existential questions about why I'm even on this planet. How is this happening to me right now? What did I do? What do I need to get right? What should I ask for forgiveness for? How can this torture stop, right? Now, I do want to say that as some of you may be thinking I'm using this sacred pulpit uh, to try and get like someone who works in the city who's in this congregation to do something about that light, but I want you to know that I am above that kind of petty things. I, I, I'm not even asking anyone in the city to do something about uh, Broadway and Sixth, but um, <laughs> the point remains. The point remains. If I'm honest with you, there is something deep inside of me that thinks I should win the lottery and I should never wait at a red light. I hope it's not all of me, I try to suppress it, I try to be honest with it and wrestle with it, but there is a part of me that thinks I should win the lottery and should never wait at a red light. It's there. Today's story is about a group of men who are in the worst case scenario. Today's story is about a group of men who live at the red light all day, every day, with no end in sight. It's about lepers, outcasts, it's about men for whom nothing is going as it should and whose stories can't be lived out according to the script that deep down they know should be happening. 
They are part of a community, if you want to call it that, of unclean men who must live in this in-between place. It's not Israel, but it's also not Samaria. It's neither here nor there. They're with others, but they're not home. They're not dead, but they're not really alive. That in-between place that we've all visited from time to time. As lepers, they're considered more contagion than they are considered human. They have to live apart from everyone else because they might infect them, including their lone loved ones who cannot come near them. If someone happens to be coming nearby, they must announce themselves loudly as unclean so that they don't render someone else accidentally impure just by existing near them. You can imagine what that must do to one's head and one's heart. They live in exile with no clear path of ever getting to go home. All day, every day, that's where they are. That's their world. They wander together out there praying that someone shows some mercy, praying that someone stops. They stop and they decide against even their own best interest to treat those lepers like actual human beings. They dream of waking up one morning and some magical thing happens and everything is back to the way it's supposed to be and they're in their home and they're waking up next to the person they're supposed to wake up next to and they're getting to work their job and eat the food with their friends and family. They wake up every day hoping that's true, but it's not. All day, every day, waiting, stuck in that in-between place. Then, then one day this rabbi they've heard of and know by name comes walking by, and when they call out and they ask for mercy, he actually listens. He tells them to head towards the priest, to go to those who can announce to everyone that they are clean and able to rejoin society. He tells them to head to the priests. He tells them to start acting like they are well, even though they are not. Go to the priests. Go get pronounced clean. What do they have to lose? So they start to head that direction. And on the way, as they're going to the priests, as they are acting like pure men, even though they are not, they are actually healed. The miracle happens. Their skin clears. The one thing keeping them from the life that they should have goes away. They hit the lottery. All of them hit the lottery. It's impossible but somehow their numbers came up. That life that they really felt this entire time, like they were supposed to be having deep down in the deepest part of who they are, is now approaching on the horizon if they just keep running towards it. They can leave behind that in-between place forever. They can see the people they've been dreaming about and missing so deeply. They can eat a home-cooked meal. They They can smell it with their eyes closed as they run right now. They get to hug the necks of those they love the most. They get to go home. Of course, of course, they run as fast as they can. Of course, they don't turn around and come back. Why would you go back to the in-between place if you don't have to be there anymore? If you were released from prison after serving 25 years, maybe a false accusation, or running a red light repeatedly early in the morning when no one's looking, hypothetically. If you served uh, 25 years in prison and you got let out, would you go check for job listings at the prison? 
No, I'm never going back there. If you got a signing bonus for being the number one draft pick in the league, would you still live in the worst part of town? Of course not. After years of treatment, your cancer is officially gone. Do you want to go hang out in the chemo wing every morning and have your coffee just for fun? No. I'm out of the in-between place. I'm not going back there. Of course, Jesus will never see these guys again. There's nothing surprising or even questionable about it. The shocking part of this story is not that nine men kept running. The shocking part is that one turned around. It's extraordinary that the Samaritan, the one who was unclean before leprosy, turned around and returned and praised God. What is the condition of a man's heart that compels him to do this? Because I'm not sure I have it. This is someone who doesn't feel like they deserve to win the lottery that they just won. This is someone who feels no entitlement to going home whatsoever. This is a man who sees his healing as a pure grace, as a gift, unearned and warranting deep gratitude, immediate deep gratitude. This is a man who sees God's grace for what it is, who sees God's grace as his point of orientation and not as a means to his own end. The miracle of this story is not seeing some healed from skin disease. There's 10 of those. The miracle of this story is a man so oriented towards grace that he alone is the one that Jesus says is made well or whole, saved in the Greek. So tonight I want the question to be for us, which leper will we be? Because I don't think we get to opt out of leprosy in this metaphor. We all got it. Now, to be honest, I no longer believe in the theology that I was taught in my youth that told me that there is not even a single ounce of anything within me that is redeemable or lovable by God, that God only loves what, you know, when God sees God's self in me or something like that. I no longer believe that. Sorry if that confession offends you uh, theologically. It's not where I'm at anymore. I don't believe I am all 100% awful and terrible and there's nothing redeemable about me. Some of you probably disagree, and I understand that. But I also don't believe in this kind of Pollyanna, (laughs) overcorrective, self-helpy nonsense that I am perfect as I am. Because I am not. I believe I am loved without condition. I believe there's nothing I can do to make God love me more or less than God already does, and that is amazing, beautiful news. That is good news. I believe that I'm loved without condition. But I also pray that God loves me too much to leave me as I am. Because I need help. I am not yet home. I spend much of my time in that in-between place, still longing to be who I feel made to be, but not there yet. Loved deeply in spite of anything I might do to deserve losing it, but not yet home. I'm a leper. And I am most well when I'm a grateful one. Because it's not all perfect. The here and now can be difficult and painful. But it is all a gift. It's all a grace. 
And it is too easy for me to keep running towards that which I assume to be better and I deserve and to neglect the gifts that I've already been given. If you haven't run into this truth yet, one day you will. It's the old you don't miss it till it's gone lesson that all of us have to learn someday. And I've tried to work hard on this last couple years, to be honest with you. Between the pandemic and losing mom, uh, I see this a little more clearly than I did before. It is all a gift. I, don't, I try not to take things for granted. I still do, but I try to be conscious of it. Right? I don't take this for granted right now. I don't take your presence here for granted. Our chance to meet together in this place tonight, I don't take that for granted. This is a gift. The friends I have, the jobs I have, the family I have, even the exhausting moments with the littler ones, they're all grace. It's all a gift. My own body is a gift from God. And that one's a little harder for me to believe most of the time because I honestly feel like I'm deteriorating by the moment at this age. At least much faster than it should be going away. But it's a gift. I try to exercise because I feel better doing it and I know I need to. Um, but I'm no Sarah Dixon. I don't genuinely derive joy from like running and pushing myself and making myself physically suffer. I don't have that thing in me, that, that um, what do you call it, sickness. I don't have that. <laughs> Generally speaking, when I'm exercising, I'm angry half the time. Because I know I'd rather be sleeping than doing what I'm doing. But it's a gift, right? And I, and I remember how mom just wanted to drive her car again. How something so simple can go away. And so even in the uh, terrible early morning moments after I've had to wait at too long at a red light and I'm trying to drag myself around and exercise, I've been saying something to myself that might be a little morbid except it's extremely true. When I'm sitting on the edge of the pool and I don't want to get in because it's cold and I don't want to do anything, I think, one day the last time I can swim. Right? One day it's going to be the last time when I can get these knees and ankles, and that day may be coming soon. One day is going to be the last time I can get them to run, if what I do you can call running. One day I'm not going to be able to walk downtown or hear the music very well. One day I'll preach the last sermon. One day you hug the neck for the last time. And when that happens, I'll know that I'll long for that home, which I was too distracted to be grateful for when I had it. Sorry, this is a low blow. It's all a gift. And I believe our lives should orient around that. I can't hold it for very long, but I'm trying.
And I bet you're like me, and you know someone who does look like that. That weirdo for whom every meal, every hangout, every concert, every cocktail, every everything is this profound gift they are so happy to have, and it makes you feel bad about yourself on some level. Someone who seems to live with a deep knowledge that this is all grace, and be criminal not to have a lot of gratitude for its existence. We all know the Samaritan lepers in our lives. And if you know that person, you love that person. You want to spend time with that person. You want more of that person in your life. Your heart warms in your chest when they are in the room because they're on to something that's deeply true. They feel like home to you in some way because on some level they aren't just healed, they are well. Shoot, they aren't just well, they are a well that quenches something inside the rest of us. So maybe tonight we can consider the miracle of the one that came back. Maybe we can fix our eyes on that man's faith. We can root ourselves in the truth of God's unrelenting grace. We can open our eyes to the gift that these bodies, these relationships, this world really is a gift to us. And in a world of sprinting lepers, maybe we can be the Samaritan who stops and remembers. Maybe we can be one of the ones who understands their way home has always been with the source of all the gifts in the first place. Let's pray. God, we are grateful. But we confess it is hard to hold that gratitude for long. In a world of in a world of busyness, in a world of chaos and anger, in a world of politics and everything else. It is so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to feel like we are um, victimized when we are not so easy to feel like um, things aren't working out the way we deserve for them to work out. God, may we be people of grace. Remind us, Lord, we are loved without condition. That We are loved in spite of ourselves. That every good gift comes from your hand. That it is all a gift. May we not be so busy sprinting towards the things we think we deserve that we neglect the gifts that we've been given. God, we do love you. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.